Even though modern humans have roamed the Earth for about 200,000 years, there's still a whole lot we don't understand about being human. The best way to learn about yourself literally lies within yourself. According to ancient human DNA, most people, to a certain extent, are pretty much like their Neanderthal ancestors. And as for your teeth, they've been keeping a permanent and intimate record of your life this whole time. And they'll act as your faithful diarist for life. At the end of the day, our own genes and teeth help us understand who we are and why we act the way we do, offering clues to make navigating everyday life a little easier. Welcome to the Abstract Podcast from Inverse. I'm Tanya Bustos, your host. Our first story is about the latest scientific evidence suggesting that most humans, to some degree, are a little bit Neanderthal. With a new list of archaic trait variants correlating to behaviors that feel especially relevant in modern times, scientists hope learning more about our ancient DNA can offer a new awareness about modern life. Our second story is about a tree-like part of your body that records intimate details about your life, your teeth. Keeping a diary of your life until the day you die, the tissues provide scientists with new insights on the biological impact of major life events. This is The Abstract, a look at the latest scientific discoveries and technology innovations from the reporters at Inverse. In each episode, we explore a single theme through two different stories. Up now, what having Neanderthal DNA means for modern people in everyday life. What the hell is that about? Well, the Neanderthals were actually a species that was wiped out by Homo sapiens. Wiped out? All of my people? Yes, but you see, because of some crossbreeding, some people like you still possess Neanderthal DNA. Isn't that interesting? You maniacs! The Earth wasn't big enough for Neanderthals, so your ancestors just got rid of them, huh? What the hell with all of you? Our Neanderthal genes on display... But technically, we don't need fossils or even South Park's fictional newly discovered Neanderthal, Randy Marsh, to defend our inner prehistoric lineage. It turns out the years of ancestral data 23andMe has been gathering could cast our early ancestors in a whole new sensitive light. And it turns out there is a lot more to the closest member of our evolutionary family than grunting Tim Allen impressions and Geico commercials. Uh The 90s were fun, but no one misses that. Back when biotech company 23andMe started Neanderthal Ancestry Insights, this was in 2011, we began seeing variants of our DNA traced back to Neanderthals. Need an excuse for your hangry outbursts or your borderline hoarding tendencies? You might have one. If you suspect you're part subspecies of archaic human, 23andMe can put you in touch with your inner Neanderthal, or at least tell you how much Neanderthal DNA you have. Josie from 23andMe's Customer Care has more information with the help of a cheery soundtrack after this guitar strum. Hi, I'm Josie from 23andMe Customer Care. Most people have somewhere between 1 and 4% of ancient Neanderthal DNA. This DNA has been passed down from generation to generation for tens of thousands of years. Our Neanderthal ancestry feature will tell you just how much of your DNA you share with our ancient relatives. As it turns out, The more we dig into Neanderthal research, the more we discover they were probably a lot like us. Inverse recently dug into a new report that helps us better understand the genes we inherited from our distant evolutionary relatives. Here with more is Mind and Body editor Sarah Sloat. Hey, Sarah, how's it going? 
I'm pretty good. How are you? Pretty good. So it was only recently that we came across, or, you know, became aware that it was possible to have these Neanderthal genes. And it was basically 23andMe that cracked this code, so to speak, 10 years ago. How did this all start initially? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. So it all starts with a team of scientists who sequenced the Neanderthal genome in May 2010. Um, and these scientists weren't a part of 23andMe. And so they compared DNA samples from the bones of three female Neanderthals who lived some 40,000 years ago in Europe, two samples of five present-day humans from China, France, Papua New Guinea, Southern Africa, and Western Africa. And then to understand the differences, they compared those DNA. And they also compared that DNA to chimpanzees to even see how similar the Neanderthal genome was to Homo sapiens, to us. And essentially, they found that Neanderthal DNA is 99.7% identical to present-day human DNA and 98.8% identical to chimpanzee DNA, which was pretty cool because present-day human DNA is also 98.8% identical to chimpanzee. And overall, they saw that 2% of the genomes of present-day humans living from Europe to Asia was inherited from Neanderthals. So that number has actually changed a bit now, but this is what the scientists discovered in 2010. You know, anthropologists had long speculated that Homo sapiens and Neanderthals mated, but this data that genes actually flowed from Neanderthal to modern human, this was the confirmation of that interbreeding. So in going back to 23andMe, so they used that information and compared it to their, you know, bulk of genetic data that they've accumulated from their customers. And they offered their first Neanderthal Ancestry Insight Report in 2011. You know, this is also fascinating to me because I'm a firm believer that we're all just sort of prehistoric beings in modern outfits, you know? Mm -hmm. totally. <laughs> so I wonder if this is the case with these Neanderthal traits. You know, might we see any in, in modern behavior? Did we get any information about that? Yeah. And, and traits are tricky, right? Because it doesn't mean like you for sure are going to be like this because you have Neanderthal ancestry, but it could mean you're more likely to experience a certain sort of behavior or reaction to something. Basically, identify associations between Neanderthal DNA and human traits by looking through web-based surveys that are given to genotype customers. And there they could see certain, the, the associations that they're looking for. And here, you know, it really, it's a wide range of things, including being less likely to have a fear of heights, being a better sprinter than a distance runner, having more dandruff, having difficulty discarding rarely used possessions, experiencing more itchy mosquito bites. You know, it is really crazy to think that something that you're doing is because of this ancient lineage. But, you know, maybe you are more likely to cry while cutting onions because you have the Neanderthal trait that's associated with that. Makes me want to go out and get a test when I uh, pinged for some of these traits. <laughs> Just curious. Like we've been kind of alluding to, Neanderthals have this image of being um, submental humans of, of sorts. Now that we know we have more in common with them than we initially thought, do you think this slowly starts to cast them in a different light now that it's a little bit more personal, perhaps? Definitely. I think it's part of an overall shift. We now know that Neanderthals mourned for each other. They put flowers on their graves. They also created art. But I think for many of us, there are they are a part of our genetic lineage, 
and in turn, they're a part of our life. You know, for me, I've done the test and I have more Neanderthal DNA than 71% of other customers. Um, Awesome. Yeah, very cool. Very proud of my Neanderthal side. But basically, they tested 7,462 variants, and they found that 253 variants of my DNA trace back. Again, this has been a lot of data gathering, uh, like 10 years worth, and, and we're kind of just cracking the surface. So what, what else can we potentially learn about ourselves through tests like this? And, and um, can we expect to see more as we get better at kind of figuring this all out? I think the f- next chapter is really learning more about how this DNA affects our health and our biology. For example, Neanderthal DNA might affect our immune systems. More broadly, it causes you to question your place in the animal kingdom. And as Dr. Esselman put it, you know, we've historically approached the study of our of recent evolution with this assumption of superiority. You know, it was very in vogue to look at this world through a view of a racist hierarchical system that put white men at top as the end of evolution. New science was used to come to bad very bad conclusions. Learning more about another type of human and rethinking the idea that homo sapiens are just the top of the top really causes you to rethink your place generally, right? Where instead of a hierarchy, we're just part of an interconnected network of animals of which humans are just one part of. You know, we're just another animal. And I think that adding, giving Neanderthals back their humanity is very enlightening when it comes to thinking about what it means to be a part of this world overall. Really cool stuff. Listeners can get the full story at inverse.com. Sarah, thanks so much. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Researchers discovered that physiologically impactful events in our lives, periods that may be stressful, such as birth or disease, all leave a permanent record on our teeth. Up now, how your own dental records disclose intimate details about your life. By looking at teeth under a microscope, we can learn a lot about a person. When they gave birth, when they moved to somewhere new, got married, went to Chipotle for the first time, important life events are archived within the confines of your mouth, and most of us never even knew it. From the moment they begin to form in your mouth until the day you die, your teeth act as a life's diary of sorts. And it's only now that we're beginning to understand why. So how can teeth actually record your life? Enter the cementum. A quick primer on your teeth real quick. The two main parts of the tooth are the crown and the root. The crown is the white part of the tooth you can see. The root is unseen below the gum line. Covering the root is the cementum. The cementum helps attach a tooth to the jawbones. Thank you, American Dental Association. This record-keeping tissue, the cementum, again, covers the root of the tooth, which helps anchor the tooth to the bone. And like tree rings, the cementum forms growth lines in its microstructure. A study in the journal Scientific Reports revealed in March of 2020 that When researchers looked at teeth under a light microscope, they saw these different lines for themselves. They were then able to link these lines in the teeth to the life events of their owners. These life events made their mark in such a way. If this sounds a bit far-fetched, we have Inverse Mind and Body editor Sarah Sloat joining us to help understand how this all makes sense. She joins us right now. Hey, Sarah. Hello. So let's talk about this tissue that makes this record-keeping possible, the cementum. 
you know, it's basically this portal into our intimate life. And it's been in our mouth the whole time. It sounds like such an otherworldly concept, but how does this all happen? The forming of these lines, what's the science going on in here, first off? So it's really easy to look at our teeth and think of them as something like bone, right? But instead, our teeth are actually composed of four different dental tissues. Three of them are hard tissues. So they're enamel, which is the one you've probably heard of when you encounter toothpaste. There's dentin, and then there's the cementum. And the fourth tissue is the pulp, which is at the center of the tooth. That's a soft, non-calcified tissue that has your nerves, blood vessels, all that good stuff. And so in this study, they found that similar to tree rings, the cementum tissue of mammalian teeth forms growth lines in its microstructure. So in turn, it acts as this biological archive of major life events. That is fascinating. And teeth have been obviously long studied extensively, but how did we get here? What sparked this experiment? What led researchers to believe cementum might lead to this information in the first place? Yes. So the lead author is Paola Sarito. She's a doctoral candidate at NYU's Department of Anthropology and College of Dentistry. She's like, okay, well, we know extensive studies that enamel and dentine inform us about different periods of life, but they only tell us about the period of time when the teeth are developing into late adolescence. So then she had the idea to pick cementum because, and this is her quote, of the potential for illuminating life history events throughout life from the time of a tooth's eruption until death. So unlike the other parts of teeth that record up, you know, through fetal and childhood development, the cementum records events throughout one's life. Gotcha. So putting this all together, you know, how these life details correspond with these lines in our teeth, you know, it seems complicated. So I just wonder how this study managed to put this all together and and examine this. Yeah, it it is pretty wild. So in this case, the teeth were obtained from a skeletal collection that was already put together. Um, Overall, the team analyzed 47 teeth belonging to 15 people whose ages ranged from 25 to 69 years old. This is the crucial part is that the researchers also had a record of the life history of the teeth's owner. So their medical records, their lifestyles, etc. So in turn... When they viewed the teeth under a light microscope, they were able to see different lines that were visible in the microstructure of the cementum, and they could link those lines to the life events of the owners. Wow. So in looking at these big life events that left their marks, literally... Are there certain, like, well, first, what kind of, um, what kind of life events are we talking? What were they able to see in terms of, you know, these intimate details? Yeah. So these are life events that really resonate physically, Um, but they could have also been, you know, in turn, emotional events. So they could tell when someone had given birth, when they had entered menopause, they could see when someone transitioned from a rural lifestyle to an urban one. And they could even see, you know, they could match the lines in the teeth to when someone was incarcerated. Wow. That's unbelievable. So are certain um, stressors, should we call them, or like, you know, life events that really leave a mark, are they definable? Are they discernible? Do they share 
there similarities? How, how does this kind of break down? So this is really a first step in a new world of research. You know, as of now, they can look, use the microscope and see the changes caused by, you know, a spell of malaria. But as of now, they can't tease apart the, these changes and what caused them. They're working to rectify this with new tools. But, but as of now, you know, they could just see, okay, like here, we know they had this experience. Oh, and then here we have a line. But all the lines look the same when you consider what the events were that, that are linked to them. Right. And as you said, you know, this is a work in progress of sorts and as eye-opening as this is, what now? Where do researchers want to see this type of analysis go from here? What do they hope to learn? Yes. I mean, they want to use new tools and methods to investigate bones and teeth. So apart from just the cool factor of, wow, my teeth are recording all this, if you come across bones and teeth in the fossil record, you could start to build a picture of the complex, dynamic person that once owned them if we get a better hang at this type of science. Yeah, this was a really, really uh, cool piece, and I encourage listeners to check it out. There's some visuals that kind of explain what's going on there as well. But Sarah, thank you as always. This was a fascinating one. Well, thank you so much for having me. Head to Inverse.com to read more about the latest details. You can click on the link in the show notes for all stories we talked about today. If you agree that science and facts matter more than ever, give us a rating and review on iTunes to help more people find The Abstract and other podcasts like it. New episodes of The Abstract are released three times a week. Find old episodes and more original reporting on science, innovation, culture, and entertainment at Inverse.com. Look for The Abstract Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever podcast app you use. For Inverse, I'm Tanya Bustos. Thanks for listening.